grab your Bibles with me this morning. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I'm very thankful for Steve Obert. He's a great brother. He's a faithful servant of our Lord. He's blessed us with three solid sermons in the last three weeks. Two of those were planned for me to have some time off. One of those was due to me fighting winter illness. Appreciate you, brother. I'm excited today to be back in the pulpit and to get to add to what Steve has brought us so far in our 2017 Advent sermon series. We're taking a break from a a long and wonderful series through the Gospel of John. We'll be back to that um, the first of the new year to be finishing it up. Just a few more months to go. Um, What a joy. We're calling this Advent Sermon Series the Nativity. Nativity means the process or circumstances of being born. It means birth. Historically, when nativity is capitalized, it means specifically to point to the historic birth of Jesus Christ. So, in this Advent season, 2017, we're looking at the people and the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. This is most significant. It is the most significant birth of all time. It's unlike any other birth of a child in the history of mankind. Mostly due to the fact that it is God the Son taking on flesh in the Incarnation, but also largely due to the fact that Jesus' conception was made possible by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a young virgin girl named Mary. God chose her out of all women to be the one to bear the Son of God in flesh, to be the one to bring forth the Savior of the world. So today, it is a great joy to look to the Holy Scriptures with you As we look to Mary and her involvement in the nativity, the birth of Jesus, as we prepare for God's word this morning, pray with me. Father, we were desperate for you in this hour to to hear from you. This is your written word that we are studying, not just a historic text of good ideas, but the ordained, authoritative, holy word of God. And we look to it not just for wisdom and nuggets of insight to better live our lives, but far greater. We, we, we look to it to know you, to know you rightly, that we would worship you and honor you and obey you and give you all that you are due, that our lives would have eternal purpose as we fight our sin and Temptations to make it all about us and find the the true joy that it is to make it about you. Speak, Lord, mightily in your word to us today. We commit to this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 30 is where we'll begin. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed 
to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I'm going to pause there. Mary is a teenage girl committed to a man named Joseph to be married. In her season of preparation for her wedding, she's visited by an angel of the Lord. Now many of us, probably all of us, would freak out <laughs> the presence of the angel of the Lord But she's not freaked out at the presence of the angel. Instead, what she's troubled about is his announcement. And specifically, that she is favored by God. What I love about Mary's response here is what it reveals about her heart for God. An angel just told her that she was highly favored and that God was with her. Realize that the way the Jewish people thought about God's presence was in the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies, where only the high priest would go on behalf of the people. That's where the presence of the Lord was. So these are not casual or flippant words For Mary, the concept of God being with her or with us, the concept of being favored by God, were not words that Mary took lightly. It rocked her. And here's the point. It should rock us too. She was blown away at the thought that God would draw near to her. This is the power of Christmas of the incarnation, of the work of a holy God to put on flesh, to draw near to us. Emmanuel, the title and the name given, the Messiah, many hundreds of years before this, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that word Emmanuel means God with us. Not only does He draw near But He has a plan for us and a provision for us. And He did for Mary as well. Look with me at the next few verses, verse 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. We heard this game-changing news given also in a dream to Joseph, her betrothed. Steve covered this in our first week in our series. Matthew chapter 1, 21-23, the announcement to Joseph was, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. 
And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What did it mean, or let me say it this way, what does it mean to you that the living God has drawn near? Draw near to you. He's come near to us. This is the consideration of Christmas time that must boggle us and cause us to truly be in awe and wonder. God put on flesh and came to our rock in flesh to live the life we failed to live and to pay the price that we could not pay in full. To set us free and to adopt us formally and permanently into his eternal family. This isn't a time of year when when we remember something else historic. There's, There's times of year where we remember historic things. And there's events in history that cause us to truly pause, no matter what season we're in, and to really reflect on the events of what happened. If there was ever a time where publicly a bunch of aliens landed here and had their way, you know, we'd remember that. If there was a time where the world was split in two, we'd remember that. Where money fell from the sky, we'd remember that. If those things ever happened, we would surely remember it every year. I mean, think about September 11th. For our generation... We live through it. We remember it. We remember what happened. 16 years ago on that day. My question is, do you truly and deeply and powerfully remember and are rocked by the reality that God came near in flesh to save us? This is truly worthy of an annual celebration, far beyond all these other things. As long as that celebration remains about what he did and who he is, that changed everything. A teenage girl is told she will conceive and have a child, even though she's a virgin. And she knows that. But but that's impossible, right? That's what she thought. Look at her next words. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. In verse 37, the angel declares, nothing will be impossible with God. Beloved, nothing is impossible with God. 
in a land of incredible knowledge and the talent of mankind, in a generation where things once thought unattainable are normal, there are still so many things that we often find ourselves facing that feel utterly impossible. No amount of time or money or power or effort can make that thing, that impossible thing, happen. But not with God. He is not bound by time or money or power and is surely not bound by the effort or will of man. He is sovereign. He is omnipotent, all-knowing. He is the Lord of all creation, of time, of space. Nothing is impossible for God. The, the conception of God the Son in the flesh, in the womb of a virgin, is truly and only a God thing. It is the miracle we celebrate at Christmas every year. We celebrate a miracle. Do you forget the weight and the height and the breadth of this miracle at Christmas? That what we're celebrating is the work of God to do the impossible the unthinkable, so that we could be saved and set free. Nothing is impossible for God. Do you believe this? Now, there's something very critical that you do with that belief, if you truly do believe that. You can make your deep-seated belief that God can do the impossible about what he does. I'm going to get a little deeper here for a second, but I pray this blesses you. So track with me. You can make your deep-seated belief that God can do the impossible. You can make it about what he does. The danger in this is that the thing he can do then can quickly become the aim of your heart and the deepest longings of your soul because he can do the impossible. What he can do, now hear me, must not be your aim. But instead the fact that he can do it. In other words, who God is must be your highest aim. Your faith in Him and what He can do must cause you, what He can do must cause you to do something critical, to trust Him. And His perfect wisdom and goodness and His will as to whether or not He will do what He can do. Who God is must be our highest aim and praise and revelation. This is how, by focusing there and not on what He does, 
but on him is how we don't make him the means to another end. That in our souls is the greater thing. God can do all things. Nothing is impossible for God. Many people believe that, declare it, but what they're fixated on, what they're, what they're holding to is the thing he would do and not the awe of he who does it or who can do it. To make it about the thing you can do is to make him the means to, in our minds, a greater end, something greater than him. That is idolatry. That would make you an idolater. That would make God then a genie in the palm of your highest hopes. This is what Mary did. She did this rightly. Realize, the news Mary was given, while remarkable, was circumstantially and sociably terrible for her life. She was just told she's pregnant. So consider her reality. Uh, She now has an unplanned pregnancy. She is a teenage girl who is engaged to be married. Yeah, that's not good for her. By tradition, in the Jewish law, she would likely be stoned for adultery to death. At, At best, divorced by her betrothed. And that leads us to this. It means the end of her wedding plans. I don't need to say very much more than you don't mess with the girl's wedding plans. <laughs> this news is messing with that. Can you imagine what the town will say when she starts to show? What does she say? Oh, oh no, guy, guys, an angel visited me. The Holy Spirit made me pregnant. All right, come on, Mary, just admit it. You're a floozy. You're a liar. Get out of here. There's so many reasons right now in this moment, in this news, for Mary to be freaking out about the impossible thing that was just declared God will do. If her view is only on what God has done, then it is potentially all bad for her in her fleshly perspective. But but it's not as much about that as it is about who God is and that he loves her and his favor is upon her. That is is the high aim and target of her thinking in this moment that she's in awe of, of God. She's just told he's going to do an impossible thing. Instead of getting really fixated on what that thing is, she's in awe of him who can do it. Do you see the difference? And so this is what makes her heart worship him. Sing. Listen carefully now to Mary's reply. Now remember, she is a scared teenage girl. She's in the midst of a very oppressive culture and upbringing. Highly stressful. She's in the middle of an arranged marriage. 
news that would rip any young girl's social life apart. It's just been given to her. And here is her reply, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In the midst of life's chaos, on the heels of more chaotic news, she is at peace. She is experiencing great harmony with God, and as a result, even in the midst of the storm, with more curveballs to come, I mean, consider what's still ahead of her. A pregnant woman, a very pregnant woman, is going to take a 100-mile donkey ride to give birth in a very unsanitary cave. Yeah, no, none of you are signing up for that. I mean, everything about her circumstances is just on tilt, and yet she is at peace. May it be to me as you have said. Why? How? Three things we see in Mary that helps us understand what real peace in the Lord looks like. Number one, Mary's very high view of God. Just a few more verses down. Listen to Mary's heart as she sings out to God these words. Luke 1, 46-55, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now listen, this divine insight that she has in the midst of a very, very powerful King Herod and even more world-dominating power of Caesar, that's her reality right now. She says this next. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Her soul is magnifying the Lord. She rejoices in God and His holy name and His mighty power. There's a lot of things in our sin that we can magnify and rejoice in. But Mary's heart is fixed on God. She sees Him as holy, as worthy. She sees Him as mighty in overall things. This is how in the midst of her social life and her physical reality in these coming months and years being turned upside down, this is how she is at peace. Because she has a healthy and high view of God. Author Steve Brown says it well, as long as I could keep God in church, in my theology books, and in my God discussions, I could deal with him. But when the real God came, it felt like he shook the church, burned the books, and laughed at some of our God discussion. And then I realized one does not deal with God 
God deals with us. Church, we must be growing in our view of who God is if peace is going to be truly real in our hearts and minds, especially when the storms rage, so must our God be so real and mighty in the deepest parts of who we are. He must increase and we must decrease, as John the Baptist said in John 3.30. I also love how Mary recalls the narrative of God's work in Israel and throughout the generations, his promise for mercy. She says, look at how God has been at work and how he is at work. She's saying he is worthy of our trust and our praise. And so I ask you, what are you saying to a watching world who knows that you claim Jesus as Lord when things in your life are turned upside down? Is your focus and energy solely on how you are affected? Or is your heart and your words first and foremost fixed on God, what He is doing in and through you in this time? We got news that one of our beloved sisters, Virginia Childress, a few nights ago had a pulmonary embolism. Uh, blood clots because of her knee surgery moved into her lungs and into her leg. If you know medical stuff, you know that that's potentially not good. It's one of those things where in any given moment, if it goes right, she's dead. And if it goes left, then she can overcome it and live and be fine. We get this news, praying, and what we've got to do in that moment is pray for her healing, is pray for her deliverance. When God says to bring our prayers boldly and confidently to his throne, where we'd be foolish to not pray for that. But our eyes and our hearts and our aim must recognize who she is in God's economy victorious and permanently his and her days are numbered none of this is a surprise to him she goes home to be with him paul says it well to live as christ and to die is gain that it very much could be real that in this hour or this day that her time is done she gets to graduate but we don't just fix on what he could do. We pray for that. But we also fix on what he's doing. And so our prayer for those, in those moments, in those hours when it's all upside down, has to also be, God, use this. Let Virginia and Ed and those rallying in that hospital and the way this word goes out be cause for your people to speak of your glory and to say God is able and God is good and he will do his perfect will, and we want that so that we don't make him the means to a greater end. Yeah, we pray for healing, we pray for deliverance, and then we yield and we say, God, you are good, you are able, you are worthy. We trust you. Some of you hanging on an edge, because I haven't told you what happened. Um, she's good, she's home. Went and saw her yesterday morning, and some of the elders and I, and some other folks. And uh, 
So yeah, I'm going to go home today. And she said, man, back in the day, this would only kill you. There's no medical advancements to break down those clots and make them go away. But now in our medical reality, is there's a lot of great advancements that do that. So she should be okay. Have another time around the block or another day to proclaim his name. And God, use this for your purposes and your glory. Do your work, God. Another source of, of Mary's peace stems from Mary's surrender to the will of God. Notice she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary, in her response, yields herself to God. She says, I am the servant of you, and you are the master. I am yours. Let it be to me according to your word. Not, oh, no, you don't. No, no, this is not going. I, that, I want it to go this way. I don't want that. No, no, no. Who are we to tell God that? She knows who she is, and it's her joy to be who she is. She yields herself to God. Beloved, understand, if you were in charge of your life, and you have not truly surrendered to God in all things, that means you were still trying to hold on to the controls. And that means no wonder why when things start to go south, you have no peace No wonder why you're often freaking out because you're holding on to the controls. You should be worried if you've got your grip on the controls. There's no real rest in the midst of the chaos when we're in charge. But if God is in charge, then there's real peace because He's on the throne, because He rules all things, because He will not be thwarted. Mary has every opportunity to doubt God, to make excuses, to run away. She surrenders. How are you at surrendering yourself to God's will, to God's word, so that He is the true authority in your life? Mary models a life that is truly surrendered to God, yielding to His will. Let it be to me according to your word, she says. Jesus will later model this Himself before going to the cross to say to God the Father, Not my will, but yours be done. Is it your joy to be a servant of the Most High God? Even in the midst of great hardship and looking into the eye of the storm before you, does your faith in God cause you to say, let it be to me according to your word? Church, we who were blood-bought and set free from slavery to sin are joyful slaves to Christ. Slaves to righteousness. We're not in charge but it is our joy to submit to the one who is. Romans 6, 17-18 Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. It is our sin that tells us at any point that we are in control when we're not. We are created to be submissive to, we will be, according to Scripture, enslaved, either to sin unto death or to Christ unto life. 
Before we are given saving faith, we're enslaved to sin. We choose sin because it's all we know. It's our nature. We're inclined to it in every way. After we're given saving faith, we're enslaved to Christ. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow in obedience and to fight sin. No longer, we are no longer enslaved to sin when we are in Christ. We've become slaves of righteousness, slaves of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Romans 1.6 basically says the heart of Christianity is to belong to Jesus. We belong to Him for His glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your life. When we really begin to get this, we begin to understand how amazing it is, how, how much of a privilege it is to be His. And that then changes how we manage our time, our money, our, our gifts, our families. We begin to understand why it is a great thing to be servants of the Most High. And it helps us to begin to realize I'm not building my own kingdom. I'm building His kingdom for His glory. We have to see it's a joy to be a servant or a slave of God. And you have to end that. You've got to ditch all your negative views of what it means to belong to another and see that if that other is Christ, there is no greater position you could be in in this life. We want to be His possession, His people. We must see He owns all of our lives and that they're for His glory. That we live our lives for the Master. The Master's purposes have become our purposes. The Master's desires have become our desires. The Master's plans have become our plans. This is what it looks like to grow in Christ, to mature in these things. So are you more and more in love with the ways and the commands of God and less and less interested in driving your own path and fulfilling your own desires? Because I promise you, if you've still got your controls on it in that way, if that's still the way you're bound up, you will not experience peace. And you will miss the opportunity to be about something much greater than the forgetful thing that is your kingdom. It was Mary's joy to submit to God. I am your servant. May it be as you have said. Finally, number three, Mary embraced the good news of Jesus. Luke 1, 31-33, Again, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. To Joseph, the angel said in the dream that he, his name would be Jesus, Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the gospel. We must understand that we are powerless for peace in and of ourselves because of sin, because we need a Savior. Man's power produces idolatry. 
And when we over-elevate anything, any relationship, any identity over God, it, it's sin, it's idolatry. We have to understand when these things are so important to us, we will stress about trying to keep them in order and in their place from breaking down or from leaving us. Things that we're not in control of. The problem is our relationships, our stuff, our status, our health will break down. It will not last. By God's grace, some of those things will last a lifetime, but not all of it. And how long will that lifetime be? Only God knows. Psalm 38.18 in the NASB says, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Man does not have the power not to stress, not to worry, because we're sinful. Because we value the, the things of God more than God. The good news is the arrival of Jesus, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus means the arrival of real peace. You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. There is not peace in the world without the Prince of Peace. There will be no peace in your life without the Prince of Peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on His shoulders, just as the angel just told Mary, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. What Mary understood, the reason why she was at true peace, is that her very soul received the good news of the child who would set us free. And the question for you and me in this third week of Advent 2017, will you receive that good news? of the arrival of Jesus who came to set His people free. To receive that good news is to believe, not just that it happened, but to believe in such a way where you trust Him with everything. You, set, you get off the throne of your own life. You confess the sin of that. And Jesus rules and reigns in your life now. He is Lord and Savior. It's good news because not only of his birth, but of his substitutional death and his victorious resurrection. Isaiah 53, 5, He, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one and only thing that can give us peace, true peace, all the way to our core. A peace that guides us in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storm. 
One of the neat ways we got to see this lived out was through another pastor who's had a neat impact on our generation, Pastor Matt Chandler. It's a picture of him preaching a few years ago. Um, Thanksgiving morning, 2009, a young 35-year-old, vibrant, committed, faithful pastor, shepherd of the flock, had a seizure was later diagnosed that day or week with a malignant brain tumor. 35. The faith in God and trust in Him and God to use all of this for His purposes and glory was very inspiring to us who watched from a distance. It was the peace of God that I saw at work, especially in his wife, Lauren. And how she, in her faith, trusted in God, despite whatever he would do. So not just saying, God, all things are possible for you, and fixing on what he would do to heal, but saying, God, you are God, and I trust you with my husband, with my future. Realize the kind of cancer he had in his brain, almost everyone who has that only lived two more years at most. It was very, very sketchy. She was asked in an interview a while back, how have you changed since entering this season of suffering? She quoted Tim Keller and said, Jesus suffered not that we might not suffer, but that when we suffer, we could become like him. This season of suffering has become an opportunity to press more and more into the Father and to be shaped by Him more and more into the likeness of Christ. It has been an appointed time to let all the other props go so that I might solely lean on Him. By no means do I lean on Him perfectly. There are plenty of false props that, I, that begs for my attention of which I continually have to confess and repent from. But even though it's an opportunity to believe, but even then, it is an opportunity to believe in the gospel and trust that even as I don't get it right, Jesus got it right for me. And he has made a way for me to run to him, not from him when I inevitably will fall. Second question she was asked, why are, you surprised when why are we so surprised when suffering comes? She says, I think most of us associate the favor of God with living pain-free lives. I believe this until the Lord graciously allowed me to suffer the loss of two miscarriages. He awakened me to the favor of His nearness in pain. The favor of being stripped of something so desirous to see intimacy with Him and joy in Him is ultimate. This is what Paul means to say in Philippians 3.8, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. I'm happy to report that Matt survived, has a beautiful head of hair again, and is continuing to do the work of the Lord. This is him and Lauren and their three kids. In Christ... You, like Mary, have the favor of God. 
The question is, do you have a high view of God that causes you to truly surrender your life to Jesus alone? To trust in Him and rest in His peace even when times are incredibly hard, not going well, or looking good on the horizon. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord your God and lean not on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will direct your paths. Amen? This Christmas, in the midst of the chaos, will you receive and rejoice in the arrival of lasting peace, Jesus Christ? Will you worship Him despite what you face? Will you say with Mary, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. Let's pray. Father, we humbly, joyfully thank You for this this Scripture, this testimony of what you have done and continue to do. We thank you for Mary and how she helps point and reorient our hearts in the midst of great trial change, having our life turned upside down to show us what it looks like to fix on you, to trust in you, to worship you to submit our lives to you to say may it be as you have said Lord that we would walk by faith that we would believe that nothing is impossible for you that our prayers would not be limited by what we think you will do or not do that we will pray and surrender and yield to you all the things in our heart confidently knowing you the living God hear us And we'll do your will. Lord, let us yield to you. Let us trust in you. That you would be the prize and not what you do. That you who can do all things are the aim of our highest longings and affection. We not turn you into the means to a greater end. Help us this season, Lord, to make war with our idols. Things that are maybe very good, people we love, things that are great, but ultimately fall far short of you being in those spots in our heart in the deepest places that you would refine and grow and mature us. You'd be in the center of all of these things as we celebrate the great miracle of God in flesh, conceived in the womb of a virgin, born unto a broken world to bring a salvation that only you can bring. There is no one higher than you. Hear us as we sing these things to you. In Jesus' name.